Welcome to Central Line, the AHA podcast. This is the official podcast of the American Animal Hospital Association, dedicated to simplifying the journey towards excellence in veterinary medicine for every member of the veterinary team. Here's your host, Dr. Katie Berlin. Hi, welcome back to Central Line. It's a pleasure to be here again. Thank you all for listening. I'm your host, Katie Berlin, and I have two lovely guests with me today, both of whom are named Catherine, just like me. <laughs> so it is Catherine to the third power on today's podcast. Uh, Dr. Katie Cutter and Catherine Medina, welcome to Central Line. Hi, thanks for having us. Uh, so, you know, you both work together and I want to get into all of the stuff that you do. And it's super cool. I can't wait to talk about it. But first, would you mind just giving us a little bit of background about yourselves and why you're here? All right. So I'm, I'm Catherine. I'm a licensed veterinary technician. Um, so I've been in the field for over a decade. I started out as a veterinary assistant and then progressed to getting my license after going to school and passing the state and national exam. Um, I have a variety of experience from shelter to day practice and emergency specialty, which was my most recent prior to coming to Boost the Pet. So you've seen a lot of corners of the profession. I've seen a lot of corners of the profession. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> That's good. That's good. That'll be relevant here shortly in a second. Yeah. So, all right. Dr. Katie is back from answering the door. <laughs> yeah, my, my dog, my dog was running down the road with a, somebody oh, was no. walking her dog. Being the responsible veterinarian I am, right? So, that was great. So, uh, tell us about yourself. <laughs> yeah, so um, amidst all the all the chaos here, so I'm Dr. Katie Cutter. Um, I'm a veterinarian, actually a veterinary ophthalmologist by training, and um, have been kind of in all facets of veterinary medicine, from specialty practice to um, teaching online courses for graduated veterinarians um, to helping to run. Um, uh, a special, some a conglomerate of uh, boutique specialty practices that my husband and I started up. And, um, and through all these years in veterinary medicine, um, you know, there's a lot of pain points that we've experienced, both as clinic owners um, and just veterinarians ourselves. And, um, and through my career, we're just not seeing a lot of improvement on those pain points. So Booster Pet is um, kind of the birth child, if you will, of um, wanting to do better in the space for those who provide the services um, for for veterinary industry. So, uh, so that's it in a nutshell. Yeah, that is definitely a nutshell because there's a lot in there. I know. <laughs> <laughs> From our previous conversation, I know there's a lot inside that little nutshell, but um, we'll get to that. Before we jump in um, to talking more about Booster Pet and what it is that you both do and how that how different that is, I think, from the way a lot of people see practice life, um, I would love to ask you a question. Uh, we at AHA have uh, the guidelines that we put out a few times a year. So, you know, we have, you know, preventive care guidelines and canine vaccination guidelines and diabetes and all that stuff. And they're wonderful documents, um, but we started making little mascots for them. Um, and so we have, if you've seen us at a conference recently, we were passing out stickers with these cute little mascots that are designed by um, the artist Lily Chin. They're adorable. Um, so find us at a conference if you, if you want some stickers. But they have a hashtag on them, and it says, what guides you? Because I think we all have something different that brought us this profession and that keeps us going. So I was wondering, in life or in vet med, um, Catherine, if you want to go first, what guides you? Um, I think in life is just like, it's, it's a hard goal. It seems basic, but it's hard. Like, I just want to be happy, right? So like, whether that's yeah. in like my personal life, my work life, um, you know, it's not always going to be like rainbows and sunshine and puppies and kittens, but, you know, looking at it as a whole, um, I want to make it as pleasurable as possible. With work, I think that being mentally stimulated, feeling like that you're making a difference or that your work matters is really important. Um, and then currently in my position, Position. Um, I started out, you know, working mobile with um, Booster Pet. Once we became bigger, um, I became the LBTVA manager. So I really like um, developing people. Um, and so, and popping up, you know, these clinics, having 
new protocols, making sure that we're doing the best quality medicine, as well as like documenting and making sure that the owners have the information that they need to like continue to do good medicine with their pets um, is really important. So it's been a pleasure to be a part of that. Love that. I do too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's got to make you feel good, right? <laughs> too. Catherine's awesome. And Dr. Katie, what about you? God, that's, that's a, that's a hard one. I would say probably what guides me most is I want to create positive change out in the world. Like when I, you know, check out of this earth, I want, I want the world to have been a better place because I was in it. And I know that sounds so cliche, but that's one of the guiding principles for kind of what I do professionally and and things that I do personally. Um, And it's, it's, it's super stimulating, right? Because you get to look at sometimes there's complex problems, but when you break them down in the root, like most complex problems are actually pretty simple. Um, and just looking for creative solutions to, um, to kind of make that world a better place is really what is my, my true north, my guiding compass. Yeah, I, and I love that that can be applied on such a macro or micro level, you know, mm-hmm. like you're, you've created this group of practices that is changing the way that we see how we can practice medicine. I mean, really, you know, the logistics of practicing medicine, and that is changing the world that you live in for the better. And then also like you could, you know, buy someone a coffee when they're not expecting it and they're going to remember that. And that changes their world for the better on that right. day. Um, so I, I love that. It's like a, it, it is a guiding light and a core principle that really you can, you can apply pretty much anywhere and you sleep better at night for sure. You do. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, thank you. I love that. I like to learn pe- a little bit about people before we dive into the, you know, the other stuff. Yeah. Um, but booster pet really isn't other stuff for you. I mean, it's kind of like, it, it's a, it's a key part of who you guys are and what you do now. Um, it seems like, you know, in your role as, you know, a founder and CEO and the manager that you are now, Catherine, um, you know, you probably spend a lot of time thinking about booster pets. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, it so, consumes a lot of conversations. In yeah, life. I bet. Um, but I was just wondering, like, you know, we haven't really talked about what Booster Pet is and how it's different. Would you mind sort of painting us a picture, um, Katie, of what it's like when you go into a Booster Pet hospital? Like, what are you going to see in the various areas of the hospital? Yeah. So I think, you know, one of the important before we walk through the clinic to distinguish is is kind of the why behind Booster Mm, Pet, mm -hmm. right? Because I don't think everyone necessarily gets it. Certainly people who have worked in the profession before get it. Um, But, you know, we have a a relative shortage of of veterinarians. And so um, that creates kind of an an emotional um, kerfuffle, but also a logistical (laughs) kerfuffle with seeing cases um, in the vet clinic. On top of that, we have um, very skilled um, paraprofessionals out there, our licensed veterinary technicians that oftentimes aren't utilized to the highest of their skill set. So what we see is clinics run by staff that are, you know, partly unicorns um, in a very inefficient manner. And it creates kind of the worst of worst of all world scenario inside the clinic, a lot of stress um, and a lot of turnover. And so the, the why behind the booster pad is if we can create alternatives for the people that work inside the space and we can, you know, create systems that are better and healthier for them, then everyone benefits and we have a more sustainable model of practice going forward. So that's the why behind it. So how we are, are looking to do that and, and booster pet and how we're doing it right now is we divide the lanes of vet care kind of in, if you think of a general practice, just split it down the middle and say, okay, you have wellness cases on one side and, and sick cases on the other. Um, sick cases, of course, um, are best leveraged with um, the in-clinic veterinarian there. And that's where their skill set should, should be utilized is um, those sick cases that, that need you know, immediate veterinary attention, boots on ground. 
the wellness side, we do a little differently. And so we leverage what we call an in-clinic telemedicine model. So you walk in and it's, you know, it's a vet clinic, just like any other vet clinic. And you're greeted by your LVTVA team. And um, they take you into the exam room, do the history, physical exam. We leverage technology like Bluetooth stethoscopes to record heart and lung sounds to make the you know EMR as complete cool. um, kind of living, breathing entity as possible. And when we're ready to consult with a veterinarian, we zoom the veterinarian into the exam room. Um, so the veterinarian can see in the exam room, we have these like little spider kind of cameras that can zoom in on lesions and things like that. But it's a complete conversation. Um, between the veterinarian, that um, LVTVA team, and the owners right there in the exam room to talk about the findings of today's exam and what the treatment plan is going forward. When that discussion's over, we're all on the same page. The, um, the veterinarian pieces out, hops on virtually into, <laughs> into the next exam room, and that LVTVA team um, carry out the treatment plan. Um, so it's, it's, you know, it's just a an efficient model <laughs> for what we currently do um, with those exams. And keep in mind that these are, you know, wellness cases. They're your, you know, vaccinations, you know, some itchy skin, just very basic stuff. That's super cool. And I'm just picturing kind of this lifeline, like a technician is the lifeline between the, the actual patient there on the table or the floor and the client sitting there like, okay, I've got my pet here. Now what? And then the veterinarian who could be anywhere on the Zoom call. And it's, that's just such a cool image because it kind of feels like you're all connected by a little, you know, a little chain. Um, and, yeah. and I, yeah, I, I think, love that visual. Yeah. And I think we are all connected in the, in the clinics. I mean, the clinics, mm -hmm. all the clinics have morning rounds together. Mm -hmm. It's like the Brady Bunch clinic Zoom. We all <laughs> get on and, and talk about, you know, hey, what's going on today? What went well yesterday? What do we need to change um, from, from things that didn't go well yesterday? So we're constantly evolving and improving, but always lean, leaning on each other and, and communicating with each other. Um, even though you're in separate clinics, it doesn't mean that, that you're not an integral part of, of the whole team. Um, so, so yeah, and, and the LVTs have always been an integral part of the mm -hmm. hospital. You know, no veterinarian ever said, I will, I will work alone in a clinic by myself, like ever, <laughs> right? I mean, that, yeah. those skilled LVTs are, have always been an essential part of making the hospital run really, really well. And so all we're doing is we're saying, okay, you guys are an essential part of how we want run really, really well. And we're going to, you know, kind of push that to let you practice um, to the, to the, to the highest of your license. And so um, what it also does is it changes the dynamics in the clinic so that technicians, you know, have more ownership in the clinics as, as well, you know, it becomes those wellness cases also become their cases. Right. Um, and it allows us to, um, to pay technicians, um, a higher yeah, average um, rate than the, the current national average by a significant amount. Mm -hmm. um, and it allows us to leverage a veterinarian for those wellness cases instead of, you know, one veterinarian per hospital trying to see those wellness cases on top of the sick cases. Now we have that wellness veterinarian that's leveraged over multiple hospitals. So right now it's four, but we suspect we can do it over five or six. Cool. Catherine, how, how has this changed... I mean, I know you're in management now mm -hmm. too, but like, how has it changed your perception of the job of a of a licensed technician, or is this kind of how you've always seen licensed technicians? And finally, LVTs are getting to actually work to the top of that license. I, you know, it's been a long time since I've been in the veterinary field, and I don't think I've ever imagined me being in a position to where I am today. That's like so very much client friend and feeling like me and the doctor based off of like the physical examination that I'm completing in the room um, and then sending him either pictures, videos, whatever that may be to like help document like what's happening with that pet and then working with them of like, this is the best treatment plan moving forward with this pet. Um, and so, especially with, um, yeah, Dr. Kobe Johnson. So he was like our first like doc that was boots on ground and we have been working with each other for, like ever since I started, um, which has been almost like a couple of years now, I think. Um, so it's especially like with him in the room, I think since we've worked so long together, it feels like we're working together to be like, all right, 
Um, do you think like this dog needs some antibiotics to clear the skin up? Or do you think like Betagen is like fine and that'll clear it up and we'll have a discussion in the room in front of the owner and they can see like how we're on the same page and how the doctor really trusts like my train of thought as well. So that's been really nice and feeling like, yeah, I'm doing something like I'm helping to help this pet. Um, so it's been, I, I don't think if you told me this, like over 10, 15 years ago, I would have been like, that's crazy. Like, I can't imagine that happening. <laughs> gonna let me do that. Like, <laughs> so. Right now there's somebody listening who's thinking that exactly. exact same thing. <laughs> so. <laughs> crazy. Um, so yeah, to those people. So, um, because we've had people who come to us, um, we've been to, a, a conference and we've had some doctors being like, how, how do you make this work? Um, and so like with the doctors and with owners initially, like experiencing us, experiencing us for the first time, um, I just explained like we, we've been doing this, right? Um, so again, coming from emergency specialty, like working overnights or working days, um, that ER doctor is not looking at your pet every single hour or every couple hours. Like that is the veterinary technician or the veterinary assistant who's alerting the doctor of like, this is what I'm finding on the physical exam. Um, and then here's your information like based off of that. Or I think like so-and-so is declining. Can you please like come take a look? We need to act like immediately. Like those are things that we've have been doing in the background. And so now it's just more forefront. Yeah, I I really like that you said that because it's not like this is really a new skill set for technicians in the sense of you've always known how to interact with patients and um and you know kind of you have that especially experienced technicians have that sense, you know, the little alarm bell that goes off when something's not right. Yeah. And I can't tell you the number of times that technicians that I've been working with have found lumps that I missed, you know, on exam, like they're petting the pet or they're prepping it for surgery or something. And they're like, what's this? And all of a sudden we have a new lump to worry about. I'm like, thanks a lot. (laughs) But it's actually really good that they did that. And, you know, it's because we're not all, we're not perfect. And um, it's really, I love the idea of having two sets of eyes there and that open conversation in front of the client that shows how much thought and collective skill goes into even a wellness exam. Sometimes those are the most thorough of all, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and you're discussing everything about that pet and that client. That's, that's a pretty neat picture. Yeah. It's been, um, and even with me being in the manager position, um, I still do work the floor, like depending on like needs of the clinics, like tomorrow I'll be working the floor. Um, so it's, it's nice to be able to like continue to work the floor. Cause I could continue to be like, all right, there's like a better way to do this. Like as I'm running into stuff, um, whether that be like, we should add a template of like talking about the skin issue and just like having all this really good information for the owner and just giving that to them. So like, maybe if you don't go like a through Z within the room written, you have, um, so it's, it's nice to still work the floor. And Catherine brings up a really good point, too, because I think one of the things that we have lost a little bit in the corporatization of veterinary medicine, I mean, there's a lot of benefits to corporate veterinary medicine, but there's some disadvantages for sure. Um, And one of the things that we see is that, you know, some of the people steering the boat um, aren't either aren't veterinarians or veterinary technicians at all. They don't have any um, experience on what goes on in the clinic, or maybe they did at one point, but they're not actively going into the clinics and seeing what is reality. So decisions are getting made on this presumption of what's going on in the clinic, right? They're, they're kind of fictional fairy tale of, oh, this is what the clinic's like, and yeah. building on that when it's not the reality of the situation. So I think it's really important to have leaders in any organization that, you know, get get dirty, get in there, get in the clinic and really know what your team is going through. I think that's super, super important. It's good for team morale too, to see that, mm-hmm. you know, be like, okay, they haven't just abandoned me on this ship, you know. Um, <laughs> I've definitely felt both ways, you know, where my managers and and bosses have been right there in the trenches with us. And that's just a good feeling, even if they can't be there all the time, um, because you do feel like, okay, then they know this struggle Um, or they finally fix the piece of equipment that's broken because there's always something broken. Right. (laughs) And until it's like, always something. Yeah. Always something. Um, 
So do you, how has staffing and retention been for you um, since starting Booster Pet? Like, do you have trouble finding people to work there? And then when you find them, do they stay? Well, I think it's like in general, um, it's rough in these streets to find an LBT, right? So like that's mm-hmm. our first thing is that there there isn't a ton of us. Um, but I feel like that when we do find an LBT, um, I think that we we have a pretty good retention rate. Um, I don't have like any numbers on me, but I, the one thing that I feel is that people like working with us. So like, that's good. Right. So for some reason, I think that we want to make sure that our like SOPs um, are being followed just because of the way that we are and that we know that we're going to have more of a microscope on us because of the way that we roll. So it's really important that like, yes, our medical notes are done. Yes, you did a really thorough exam. Um, So while we're like pushing you to like the top of your licensure is like, yeah, it also comes with like that extra effort and that extra responsibility too. Um, So that could be a different challenge. I think sometimes when a technician is hearing it versus experiencing seeing it. Katie, would you agree with that? Yeah, no, I think I think absolutely. I mean, one of the things that we like to ask is kind of like, what are your veterinary wishes, hopes, and dreams? Because when you're talking to people, um, a lot of times you can get a sense for like, are you going to be a good fit? Because this isn't for everybody, right? Mm-hmm. And nor like there are other options for people. We don't want someone to come and work for us just because we pay more if they're not going to be a, a good fit. So really trying to sort out that fit. Um, and are they, you know, are they comfortable doing RSOPs? Are they, are they more of an urgent care tech versus, you know, versus a wellness tech, things like that. So really trying to put people in, in the right seat. I think we've done, and Catherine has been amazing at that, um, done a really good job at that. Um, from the doctor standpoint, um, we've had great DVM retention. I, I don't think we're any better at recruiting <laughs> I mean, in doctors so than tough. anyone else. I mean, it's, it's a hard field out there, right? Yeah. So I like to think like um, we do, I mean, I, we are successful for sure, but, um, but you know, I've learned not to toot. Tell my toot my own horn, tell my own horn, whatever it is. Um, don't do that with my horn um, because it's it's a it's a difficult it's a difficult um, field out there. I will say the easiest recruitment, like ever, is the telemedicine veterinarian. Mm. <laughs> like, yeah. Honestly, yeah, people are like, sign me up. Me, yeah. So we literally have more veterinarians in that capacity than we know what to do with. Um, and as we grow, that's a great, like, that's a great problem to have. Like how many, you know, how many veterinary clinics can say that they don't have enough roles for certain types of vets. Right. Um, so that, that part has been hugely successful, but you know, the, the, the non-wellness urgent care side of it, I think, you know, we're, we're, you know, maybe a little bit better than average in recruitment and, um, and, and definitely better than average in retention, but it's, it's a hard field out there for sure. Yeah. Do your vets typically do both and they spend some of the time on the floor and some of the time telemedicine or they're pretty much one or the other? It's, they're pretty much one or the other. I would say, you know, we do have vets that do that do both. And it really just depends on on the vets. And we realize that like you you are more than just your job, right? So you need everyone has different work life balance needs, right? And we we are very flexible and and accommodating that. So we have some people that work um, one day a week for us, some people that work a couple days a month, others that are three days a week, some that are four days a week. And within that skill set, it's okay. Do you or is urgent care your jam? Because it's it's the rare veterinarian where they're like, I love the urgent care cases, and I want to do you know healthy puppies and kitten vaccines all day, right? Like usually it's like one or the other. There are some vets out there that, that really do like both. Um, and we utilize them in both capacities, but, um, for, for the most part, I would say the vets tend to segregate themselves and what they prefer to do. And we also do wellness procedures as well. So, you know, spays, neuters, dentistries, and things like that. And that's, that's kind of that third segment because not all vets like procedures, right? Mm -hmm. So really trying to, have that open dialogue with with our um, with our future team members and saying like, hey, what what is your happy spot when you're in the clinic? Because that's where we want you. Like that's where all the good stuff is going to happen. So if you don't like doing procedures, why am I going to stick you in procedures all day? Like that's kind of ridiculous. If you love doing procedures, why would I not have you do that? Right. So really trying to have those open conversations with. Um, with our veterinarians and our staff and just say, like, what, what is it that really, really 
excites you every day. If you're a fan of Central Line, there's a good chance you're a super fan of VetMed. Well, I've got big news. AhaCon, the ultimate event for veterinary superfans, is coming to San Diego, the home of the con, this September. Level up your skills, knowledge, and connection with more medical and scientific tracks, a killer keynote, and interactive learning experiences for the entire veterinary team. Early bird registration is open now. Visit aha.org slash ahacon, that's aha.org slash A-A-H-A-C-O-N to learn more and save your spot. Do you, do you guys know StrengthsFinder? The strengths finder assessment. We've done strengths <laughs> unsuccessfully. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and it's cool because, it, you know, strengths finder. So for people listening or watching, you know, strengths finder 2.0, I guess, is a book. And um, the book, you know, talks about different types of di- different strengths that you can manifest in your personality. And um, there's a test that comes with it. So when you buy the book, you get a code and then you take the test online mm-hmm. and then it tells you what your top five strengths are. And you you kind of look at that as a way to say, OK, these are the things that I naturally gravitate towards or excel at. And the idea is that then you try to play to your strengths and not like worry so much about why you don't have, why something's like your 20th strength instead of your second, you know, like that's how collaboration works. Right. And so listening to you, I love strengths finder and we do it at aha too. And, um, one of my top strengths is maximizer, which is kind of like, we're good at sort of putting people in the right positions. And I feel like Catherine, um, Katie said you were good at that too, Mm -hmm. is getting the right people in the right spots. And that really plays, you know, it it tugs at my heart a little bit to hear you say that, that as a veterinarian, you can do more of what you love and are naturally drawn to, and maybe not spend so much time beating yourself up for not being naturally good at something else, um, unless you really want to be good at it. And I, I fought that a lot myself because vets are told we're supposed to be good at everything, right? Graduate vet school, you're supposed to be able to do everything. And that's just, it's not true. Right. Well, well, well we're in this kind of crossroads too, I think. Uh, and we've, I mean, this has been developing for a while, but we have new generations of vets that are coming out, which is mm-hmm. like, that's great. We, we need young blood in this space. And with that comes generational transformation, right? So it used to be, you know, years ago, the work week was a five-day, sometimes six-day work week. You were on call. Your days were 10, 12 hours, sometimes more. And that was just part of the job. That's just what you did. Um, And, you know, that's not where we should be looking towards for, (laughs) for, for where we go forward. So I think a lot of the friction that we're feeling in the veterinary industry is also a generation of vets who are just like, hey, dude, I'm tired. I'm sick. Why would I do that? That's not what I'm signing up for, right? And, yeah. and they're giving us, kind of giving the industry the hand and saying like, no, that's, that's not how this is going to roll. So work weeks are now four days and for some people three days, um, you know, shift work and kind of that gig economy in veterinary medicine is becoming um, increasingly common. And so we have to be an adaptable industry and certainly any tools and any collaborations that we can develop to make us more adaptable as an industry is going to benefit everyone as a whole. And so that utilizing the technicians to the top of their skill set, it's definitely healthier for the technicians. Mm-hmm. We can pay them more. They can have you know a career path that didn't exist before, but it's healthy for everyone in the industry. Like they're helping to fill some significant gaps that are there and by filling those gaps, they're allowing then the veterinarians to to drive that work-life balance change that they're seeking too. So they're, I mean, it's like that they go hand in hand together. Yeah. Yeah. I think our first, like at least four technicians that we hired, like we were joking that we were having like a little LVT retirement home because a lot of our LVTs were just like burnt out. They were like at the end of their line and they're just like, I like, I like the sound of like, that work-life balance of like what you guys are preaching. And I, I want to experience that. Um, and as a manager, like, you know, for me, if for any of our people, most of the issues are not like I'm being overworked or like you guys um, are like, I don't feel supported or anything like that. It's mostly 
other stuff that's and we're we're good about making sure that we're troubleshooting they're open to come to talk to us and this is has been more of like i want to make sure that you're feeling okay type of job than i've been led to with than more other jobs if that makes sense um i think that the yeah. other jobs have been more like this is how it is i'm like sorry about it but like you just got to deal with it versus i think that katie is definitely a lot more open to opinions and like how to change things um and it's it sounds silly but she's she's more reasonable than like most of the other like managers that i've had so i could be like here's this problem and she's like yep that looks like a problem and let's go ahead and find the solution for that and it's like a really reasonable solution and it's implemented and that's it and like that's great um versus you feeling like you're never being heard um like i've had at other clinics yeah and I, and I think Catherine has a, has a has a great point with that too. Like at Booster, we're not we're we know that at Booster Pet we're we're definitely imperfect, right? And we will always be imperfect because there is no such thing as you know um, perfection here. But our goal is to always be working on a new problem, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. And I think that the new part of the problem is there. And so that for for that you have to you know really empower those who are boots on ground, like the people who are in the clinics are the ones that are driving this change. Like they are really the, the veterinary revolutionaries here. Like, you know, I can have this idea that's like, woohoo, this is kind of cute, but the, it's the people that are boots on ground, our vet techs and our veterinarians every day. They are the ones that are driving this change and creating it and really trusting them to point out the flaws in the system and to have the voice that says, Hey, this is a problem. So we can all come together and say, what are we going to do about it? So then we can focus on the next problem. And that's how, you know, evolution happens. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I love that. We always want to be working on a new problem. I like that. <laughs> I, I, there's nothing more frustrating than like having a 15th meeting about the same problem. <laughs> like, oh my god! So nice. Oh my god! I, like, <laughs> I thought I thought I thought we handled that last meeting and yeah, like, yeah. right. No, nope. yeah. Um, so let me ask. Uh, I, I guess there are two aspects to this question because I was wondering about challenges with this and about resistance, especially that you might encounter from clients um, like Catherine, when you, you know, or one of your LBTs like walks into the room and they're like, this is what we're going to do. And it doesn't matter how many emails the client's gotten about like how it works, right? There's always going to be a client that's like, I don't understand what's going on here. And do you meet resistance ever from that? And if so, like, how is that addressed in the room? So um, yes, I've, I've had one person that like personally had resistance. So, um, it was a LVT who saw this owner who, like you said, no matter how much like we say over the phone or like have them sign these like telemedicine consent forms, they're just like, Oh, what is this? What is happening? Total surprise. Right, total yeah. surprise. <laughs> um, so she saw another LVT for a vaccination, um, and then seemed you know, she wanted a traditional like doctor in the room exam go. Um, and then she, she seemed upset, although she came back an hour later with her other dog. So it's just like, we're like, not too shabby if like, you're still coming back to us. Um, and so yeah. I, if I ever deal with an owner that's in the room, that seems surprised about the way that we run, I don't want to force anybody to do what they're not comfortable doing. So we have that conversation. I'm just like, look, like I can totally like do the exam. We can have the doctor come in we could complete this, but also I want you to feel really comfortable about like what's happening with your dog and like the care that's with your dog. So you also have the option to schedule with a traditional veterinarian so it's it's totally up to you and once you put it back in their core and they know like I'm, I'm not trying to push them to do anything that they don't want to do um right so they then they could take it from there it doesn't sound that different from the conversation I've had as an associate vet where I walk in and they were expecting to see my boss, yes. <laughs> you know the older gentleman right. who they've been seeing for a million years and they're like where is he I'm like, well, you got me, <laughs> um, but surprise, I don't, right? yeah, <laughs> surprise, like no one's getting us mixed up, but like, I don't want, you know, I don't want to force somebody to see a veterinarian they're not comfortable with and everybody should be able to be comfortable. So I love that answer. And, and I, I love also that you have not encountered this a lot. 
um, and that most people are really open to this idea because people just want their pets to get good care, right? Right. Even if it looks a little different. Yeah. For most people, I think it makes sense to them. They they Mm -hmm. get it. And for most, a lot of pet owners, like they've had problems trying to get in to get pet care in general. So a lot of them are just like, thank you for seeing me. Um, And then, and then once they discover the model and um, they realize the, the kind of why behind it, I think, you know, by and large, most of them are just like, oh, makes total sense. Yeah, every now and then you get a few old crotchety people that are just like, oh, I'm They'd probably be cranky no matter what, though, right, let's face right. it. Exactly. <laughs> I, could, I could give them a brick of gold and a unicorn and they would. Yeah, <laughs> they'd be like, where's, where's the rest? <laughs> yeah. um, okay, so the other part of the resistance question yeah. I was going to ask you, uh, because, and I'm, I'm, inserting myself into this situation, right? Because you don't have any trouble finding veterinarians for telehealth. Like you're inundated with applications for people who want to work remotely. And I would imagine that, you know, that not every veterinarian feels the same way about that. Like the veterinarians that work boots on the ground sometimes may not see telehealth the same way. Do you ever encounter resistance from other veterinarians about this model and saying, you know, like, that's not possible to do a good exam that way, or I would never let a technician do my exam for me. Yes, are you talking about within Booster Pet or kind of outside of Booster Either Pet? one. I mean, I would guess that you try not to, you know, right. <laughs> not try not to have vets in the clinic who don't yeah. like what's going on in the clinic. But I also know that, that certain things don't get told to you personally, right? And so sure, sure. Um, it may um, sneak in. <laughs> yeah, I would, say, I would say within Booster Pet, like our, you know, people work there that have bought into the, the model. And yeah. and our boots on ground veterinarians are an integral part of actually that wellness exam process and um, seeing new patients and things like that. So um so they they literally like are are part they do they do urgent care, but they're part of the process um with our in clinic telemedicine as well. So um so by nature they, it's a collaborative effort. Yeah, there is a yeah. collaboration, um, boots on ground. Certainly, I think most of the resistance for creating um, innovative change comes from veterinarians. Um, you know, as a whole, um, and I hate to say this, but veterinarians don't trust other veterinarians. And um, and it's a shame. And it's, um, it's not a collaborative industry, for sure. Um, and it's a very much protectionism. You know, you can have someone who's like, oh, my God, I work like, you know, 87 hours a week and I'm so tired. But you you give them an option. Hey, here's this creative way where you could work less. Like now. Um, but someone else <laughs> might make some money in order to give you that. And all of a sudden it's like the world's on fire. And how do <laughs> you do that? Right. Um, so, I, yeah, I would say that, um, you know, we have veterinarians that are outside of Booster Pet that are huge proponents um, of the model and are doing creative things in their own clinics that are awesome and, and similar or sometimes awesome and different. Um, and then there are, you know, there are veterinarians that don't want to see really any change in veterinary medicine that are happy with the status quo um, and have a more protectionist standpoint. It almost gets a little competitive there as far as like who can be the busiest and who can suffer the mm-hmm. most. I've seen those threads online of like the, sure. the, what do you mean? What's lunch threads, you know, right. where like somebody's like, do you get your scheduled lunch breaks? I'm just wondering. And everyone's like lunch, you know, and it's like all the comments are about how you don't get lunch and they haven't gotten lunch in 20 years. I'm like, I don't really think we should be competing over who doesn't get to eat lunch right. most. Right. Something's broken there. Yes. And and I think what we forget is that, you know, right now veterinarians hold a lot of the cards, but who ultimately holds the cards are the pet parents. Yeah. Right? Like, and so we have got to come up with really creative, innovative solutions fairly quickly um, in order to serve the growing number of pet parents that are out there and in order to serve this younger generation of veterinarians, and sometimes it's not younger, sometimes it's just older veterinarians who have come to their senses that want to maintain that work-life balance and work more efficiently um, in their veterinary career, kind of highlight the sweet spots um, that really makes them um, makes them want to come to work every day um, and and balance that with, with who they are outside of the veterinary profession. So, um, yeah, there's naysayers, but 
you know, I'm like Taylor Swift. They can, uh, right. <laughs> they don't have to work there. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah, definitely. Change is tough. Yeah. Change mm-hmm. is tough for some people. It's been- yeah, but we have to be the, you know, we have to be the, it's Gandhi, right? Who said that we have to be the, the change that we want to see in the world, right? We can talk all day long about what change is needed in the vet space, but until people are willing to put innovation into reality, into the clinical space and really push that forward, you know, that change isn't going to happen. So we, we need progressives out there. We need, I'm so, so proud of our LVTs, our VAs and our veterinarians at Booster Pet because they are, they're just doing so much good out there. Um, and I wish, I wish we had more people that were willing to uh, innovate alongside us. Catherine, I, before we finish up here, I just wanted to ask you, you know, um, as a, as a manager now, um, this is kind of a question that I feel like we, we see a lot of people getting promoted into management in the field who don't necessarily have a lot of management training. Um, they've just been there the longest or they've had their license the longest, or they are the ones who speak up at meetings (laughs) and, um, you know, and are not afraid to have opinions. And those are all good reasons to, you know, but they're, they don't make a manager. And so I was wondering just, um, you know, out of curiosity, your management journey, like, did you want, to be in a management role originally and you, this was something you were always kind of aspiring to do. Did it kind of sneak up on you and how have you gotten that management training and support that you, that you need for that job? So I'm trying to think of when I first got my like first supervisor position. Um, so I think my first supervisor position was within a day practice. Um, it was, day practice as well as emergency. And so I was the day practice lead, but also surgery tech. Um, So that was my first position. And I think they saw just like a natural, like I'm leading my day, you know, like I'm helping to guide people Mm -hmm. to do those things. So they're like, yeah, like we need this position and we think that you'd be a good fit here. Um, So at my last position, I was managing a emergency specialty center, which was overseeing maybe like fluctuating 40-ish people um, prior to coming to Booster Pet. Um, with that last position, they did send us to like CEs, um, like the tech managers to CEs of like how to become a better manager, like how to have those conversations and um, the goals of the company and all that good stuff. Um, I think when coming a manager is important to one, be honest with your, whoever your upper is, whether that's like a practice manager, a CEO, whatever. Um, the nice thing about Katie again, is that she's like very reasonable with her thing. So even if I'm really frustrated in a situation, I could come and be really candid and be like, this is my emotions about this situation. And that's okay for her, you know, like, like I feel comfortable being candid with her and she like allows me to do that. And so then we're able to have like a conversation of like, how do we troubleshoot this? And in a calm manner um, to make sure that everybody feels heard in the position and that we get the problem solved. So I think that if you're going to become a manager is that look for those CEs to better communicate with people. Communication is always something that someone's gonna have to work on, Um, especially like I can be very direct and I know that. And so I like when typing out emails, like I know that this is something I'm gonna have to proofread to make sure that the tone of the email comes off okay to somebody else. I'm like, that's okay. Again, everybody like has something to work on. As long as you recognize that, perfect, great, work on that. But if you're you're going into a management position, you know, being like, I'm rainbows and sunshine and I'm perfect, then um, I would highly seek out some CE and see how. (laughs) Yeah, some feedback, (laughs) some constructive feedback. Yeah. Yeah, And I I think what makes Catherine kind of um, unique as as well is, um, you know, she does have a natural, like she, she, sees, can see chaos and break it down into structure. Um, And she can do that with an individual as well. Like, okay, let me help you. Like, I see where you're struggling and let's, let's help give some structure there. Cause we certainly have, I mean, I've worked with amazing um, technicians before 
who should always stay on the floor. Like that's what they're good at. And that's their sweet spot. And in, you know, years past, I've, I've made the mistake of, you know, elevating kind of that Peter principle of elevation where, you know, Oh, you're really good at this job. So we're going to move you up here. And then you took them away from their happy spot. And then you put them in all these direct um, human um, kind of overseeing interactions. And it's, it's super stressful. Like, you know, very rarely does Catherine get the phone call like, Oh, everything's going great. Thank you so much. I just want your, you're amazing. And then hang up. Right. Like, you're like, you're with the fire of the moment. Right. And um, so, so you've got to, you've got to want to hold that space a little bit and that's not for everybody. Right. Yeah. You, you have to be lenient with things and your opinions, like you're not always going to get whatever you think is right. But um, I think that if you can be able to look at the bigger picture um, and have somebody to bounce off ideas with, like, I don't, I don't think that I could flourish as much as I can without having someone to bounce ideas off of, or like, how did that conversation go? How could I have improved that conversation? Um, Those, those really need to be had to like, you know, continue to improve and grow and do all those good things. Totally agree. Yeah. It's very important to have that kind of relationship with colleagues as well as with your supervisor um, where people can give you honest feedback and you can give it back. Um, and that sounds so simple. And again, it's, it's one of those things, right? You want to, yeah. <laughs> it's like being happy, right? right? Yeah. Feedback is like being happy. It's, it sounds so easy. You can say it in two seconds and also it takes a lifetime probably to get really comfortable with so yeah well and I think as an organization too like you have to go and actively seek feedback yeah I think organizations can get super lazy when they don't really want to know the negative feedback because I'm like that's another problem I have to add to my list and it might actually distort my reality filter that I have going on up here (laughs) and yeah I'm gonna have to change this whole process of things um but also we we forget that giving feedback um, is uncomfortable for a lot of people. Like a lot of people don't want to just sit there and and call you up and and kind of complain about something, but that's actually, those are your biggest growth opportunities as a, as a company. So like embrace the feedback, look at it as this person cares enough about this organization that they want to see the change. And that's, those are our biggest opportunities for growth. But as a company, you have to go and seek that, right? And you have to create environments where people feel comfortable giving you that feedback too. So it's, it's always a work in progress, but I think it's, it's really critical um, for veterinary clinics to, to set those environments up um, so that their staff doesn't feel like um, they don't have a stay, right? Love it. Okay. Well, I think we're ready to wrap up and I have one fun question for us to wrap up with because we've talked about a lot of deep stuff, which is very important. And now I want to know, um, do do you guys have an embarrassing vet med story? You know, there's a, this is like one of the most ripe fields with ways to embarrass ourselves, especially in front of clients. But I was just wondering. <laughs> It's embarrassing, but it's, God, okay. So um, I I was working overnight with, like, one of the overnight crew just because we were understaffed. Um, And then, like, a code happened, right? So she brings out the code and starts CPR. It's a cat. And I'm like, I am going to help. So I run around the wet table and totally follow my face, like twist my ankle and everything. And my coworker who's still doing compression, she's like, like, she's looking over like, right. I have to worry about you too. What are you doing? So I was able to like limp and we got the cat back, but I was just like, I'm super helpful. Like (laughs) Like, let me help you focus on that very important job. So sorry. (laughs) Oh man. Yeah, I really jacked up my ankle that day. Yeah, I had it. I had it multiple days. Um, so. That's awesome. Yeah, helpful. I'm not going to let you let that down. Right. You know that. Yeah. <laughs> Remember that time? Right. Yeah, it's, just, it's those clogged shoes. I never wore those clogged Oh, yeah. No, the dance go. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no. I had a coworker who was like telling me, she's like, you're going to fall. And I'm like, no, it's fine. Yeah. Right. And then I, like, <laughs> mess myself up. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Katie. 
Oh my God. Too, too numerous to count. Like the number of times I've put my foot in my mouth or, um, mm. done something, um, inappropriate that I shouldn't have done. But I remember one of the, one of the experiences during my internship was I was on the surgery rotation and, um, we had this, um, older gentleman from the city come up from New York city who took a cab ride up. It's like four and a half hours up to Ithaca, right? Where the vet school is. And, um, for his 20 something year old dog that had, I can't even remember the problem it had. So, and this, this guy was known in the school, like he periodically did this and, you know, wasn't necessarily, um, the most stable of personalities. Right. And so they're like, Dr. Cutter, this is a great one for you. And so I like get my little lab coat on and, um, and open the door and the gentleman, he's like, I don't know, 80 something years old and he has his pants pulled down. Right. And I'm just like, <laughs> they did not go over this in vet school. <laughs> I did not know what to do here. So I just, I, I looked to make sure the dog was like away from the owner. I'm like, I don't know what's going on here. And I just, I was like, I'm going to be back in about three minutes. <laughs> Left the room. Came back in three minutes. Pants were back on. Oh, good. But my, but my. And that didn't happen. Exactly. Just it didn't happen. We're just going to pretend it didn't happen. But my overseeing resident, who um, was a guy named Dan Dan Mertens, he's so funny. So I, I came out and I was like, dude, you're not going to believe like what just happened. And he was like, well, did you pull your pants down? And he was like, rule number one is establish a common bonding with the client. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. Fail. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good yeah, one. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's, but there's like, I feel like every day, and I mean, that's yeah. working in a service industry where you get to work oh, with yeah. so many different people every day. There's something that happens where you're like, you just can't make this up. This is like, it's For crazy sure. town. Yeah, especially. And you gotta be animals. able to laugh. Right, exactly. Yeah, because yeah, animal, like, just when you think you're on top of your game, you know, an animal will stick their foot down the back of your pants right. while you're standing oh up, God. you know. And yeah. yeah. Uh, I've had, like, anal glands on the face and, like, you know, just, like, <laughs> yep. the yeah, the nastiest, like, <laughs> Yeah, it's yes. There, there's so many gross stories too. I should make that a question one day. Mm-hmm. Tell me your grossest vet med story. <laughs> anyway, and it can vet, get pretty gory. So vet audiences can handle it. Right, <laughs> it right. won't be good for for a pet owner podcast if we ever make no. one. But <laughs> anyway, well, thank you for sharing. Um, yeah, I that just brought back all sorts of other stories that I had blocked into my memory. Things that I had chosen not to remember that I remember now, but thanks to, thanks both of you for bringing those back. Well, thank, but thank you both seriously for your time, um, for trying again, because this is try number two uh, with tech issues um, intervening and in try number one. So appreciate you hanging in there and sharing your experience and all of the amazing ways that you're changing um changing the way you work and the way maybe the whole industry will work one day we just don't know you know and we never know till we try Um, well we're not we're not stopping until we do so (laughs) i love that i love that so um we'll put a link to booster pets website um on the in the show notes so people can find out more about what you're doing and where your clinics are um, but I really, really appreciate your time today. It's been super fun. Yeah, great. Well, thanks for having us, Katie. It's been awesome. And thanks to all of you for listening. We'll catch you next time on Central Line. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Central Line, the AHA podcast. If you love what you hear, please take a moment to leave us a rating and review. For more resources to help you simplify your journey towards excellence in veterinary medicine, we invite you to visit aha.org. That's A-A-H-A dot O-R-G.